Welcome to the Millennials Unpublished Podcast, where we talk about everything from gaps in the literature to gaps in society. Thank you for joining us for another episode. This is Jaslyn. And this is Darren. What's poppin' Jaslyn? <laughs> Let me stop. I'm just, I'm just going. But thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Um, another just note. So on Apple Podcasts, again, um, it's possible to rate us, but on Spotify, it's not. But something you can do if you want to tune in is that you can follow our um, page channel, what's it called, um, on Spotify itself. So you can click the follow button, and that way when a new episode comes out, you don't got to go digging for it. It'll be in your feed. I think that's how it works, right, Jasmine? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like subscribing, but since it's Spotify and it's originally meant for music, you got to follow. Also, we were thinking about starting up a little, it's not a challenge or a giveaway. It's more of a call to action, I guess, of, you know, we'd like to see all our wonderful listeners on our social media giving us input. Uh, The people who already follow us on Instagram know that this week we did a poll for um, our followers to decide the episode for this week. So we're going to introduce a challenge and we would like to see more people on Instagram. So share our page you know follow us yourself or follow us yourself if you haven't already followed us and when we get to 100 subscribers and then every increment yeah. of 100 after that we'll throw out a second episode that week something special could be bloopers could be a conversation it could be anything like that i know some of you guys asked for more content so it's a way to to get more of what you're looking for yeah, scream, shout, let it, let it out. Tell your friends. <laughs> but uh, let's like dive in to our check-in and check-up. So what's popping again, Jaslyn? How's it going? How, how are things? How are you feeling? <laughs> it's technically the end of the semester, so I guess I should be happy. You guess you should. Uh, but am I happy? No. Are any of them? No, I'm fine. I, <laughs> I think even when you when it comes to the end of a semester, you just are still feeling all the stress and the worry and the burden and weight of the semester <sighs> on you for a while. So you don't just like enter into relaxation mode and especially yeah. when there's work to do. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking of I think there's this book called The Body Keeps Score, um, that talks about stress and how it makes its way into to the body and stuff so there's a dog, a dog barking. barking outside i'm sorry buddy <laughs> but basically i was just gonna say uh, i was gonna check that out and read it and like it just made me think of it so check it out if you're interested sorry for the dog barking we might just have to cut all of this out i was i thought you were gonna stop talking because he was like barking like yeah he just keeps barking though and i don't want to be too tangential but oh my gosh should we just keep going <laughs> Let's let's wait like 30 seconds or so. And if he's still barking, we'll just have to push through. Okay. So if he stopped, then I think you'll have to read. Yeah, Jasmine, we gendered this dog if she or they stop barking. <laughs> you don't even like animals. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I'm not even being messy. I'm just like, why do we just randomly gender stuff? Like, I don't know. I found myself doing well, it. Well, it started off saying there was a, there's a dog barking. And then you're like, I don't know who said the gender first, but me. then it just kept going. So, Dang. caught. caught. 
I think they stopped. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Should we keep it going? Uh, can you start over <laughs> with, uh, I think there's this book or something. Oh, I, I think there's this book called The Body Keeps Score. Um, a couple of people have recommended it to me. And it apparently just talks about how when there's stressful experiences, they make their way into the body and the body doesn't know the difference. So I haven't read it, so I can't really quite speak on it yet, but I heard it's kind of hidden on some of the things that you were talking about, how at the end of the semester, you know, it still could be up in your bones, even if it's not up in your mind. <laughs> yeah, that's real. That's very real. Speaking of books, um, something else, again, follow us on Instagram so we can get your feedback and input, but we're thinking mm -hmm. about starting um, some more interactive episodes where there might be something we read or something we watch, something that helps us with maneuvering these programs or just productivity in general mm -hmm. in anything we're trying to do. So we could post that and then we could have dedicated episodes where we talk about it together. So if you're interested in stuff like that, again, join us on Instagram and we can kind of get that going. Yeah. Um, How are so, you, Darren? As I always say, seconding and thirding that. <laughs> <laughs> we also started a new um, Words Mean Things series where we talk about different uh, different words that we use in our episodes. You know, we want to get your take on them. Um, but how am I doing? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm monopolizing the show. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But... I'm doing all right. I've been trying to go in and do inventory of how it is that I've been feeling because during the semester, it just goes so quickly. That I don't think I give myself enough time to really reflect. So I feel like I've been doing like, like, a, like feelings workshops for myself. Like I literally like lit a candle one night and just like stared at the candle and did some meditation. Uh, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> no, nah, it's the sun. You can't see my face. <laughs> Um, and did a meditation and really just wanted to build in time to, to figure out what is it that I'm feeling, you know, because it's important and what you're feeling is important and what all of what we're feeling is important. So um, I guess my answer is I'm still trying to figure it out. But right now, pretty happy, you know, sky's blue, not dehydrated. So I see you looking out into the window, you know, right, into the yeah. world. But in a semester was not like that. It was a hot mess. I was just trying to, to keep myself together and <laughs> get through everything. I had mm -hmm. all the dishes pot up in my sink because uh, I couldn't get to it. You know those times when you just, you have so much to do. It's like you could have a little task, like, I don't know, like hanging clothes up. And you're just like, no, I can't. I just, oh. It's too <laughs> much. You're going to fall out if you do it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, working on not guilting myself in those moments and being like, look, you have a lot of stuff you're doing. Like, it's completely okay. The dishes will be there. Um, and then cleaning them when you can. So that's, mm -hmm. that's what that was up to this week. Um, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Glad you made it through finals. <laughs> Thank you. Well, shout out to everyone, you know, teachers and students who were going through finals. Shout out to y'all. It's <laughs> yeah. a lot. Yeah, should we get into this topic under review, the saucy topic? Let's get into it. So this week, we're going to be talking about reflecting on our first year in PhD programs. So it was my first year this year. I just finished up. But for Jasmine, it's the end of your th third? Yeah, your girl's a fourth year, I guess. Oh, wow, gosh. Candidate. Yeah. And then, and, yeah. 
Um, so your first year was in 2017. Okay, yeah. 2017, 2018. Okay, yeah. So we just wanted to talk through our experience with with our first year um, and just hit on a few different things that we thought might be interesting to discuss and might be useful for people starting their first year thinking about how a first year might go. So Mm -hmm. I think the first thing we wanted to hit on was getting set up. So like for me, I was pretty lucky because I came back to Philly. I did a year in Spain and I was living in Philly before. And starting my program at Penn, I came back to the city. So I don't have too much to add on getting set up. I well, why were you in the city before you went to Spain? Oh, okay, true. Yeah, I was working as a lab tech. In the lab that I worked in as an undergraduate at Hopkins, uh, they moved up to Philly, uh, to Penn. So I was working as a lab tech, and then I went and did my master's in Spain, and then I came back for my PhD. When it came to apartment hunting, um, I went through an apartment company that I'd found a couple years back. Uh, so they helped show me some places and I was able to choose one. So I'm going to stop talking because my process was pretty streamlined. So you need to drop the knowledge, Jasmine, on this one. The knowledge? The knowledge <laughs> or the struggle? Experience. <laughs> You've moved like five times, haven't you? <laughs> I have. I've moved a lot. So for me, I moved from the DMV area to Rhode Island, which is a really big move in and of itself outside of even having to start grad school. Um, mm-hmm. And relocation wise uh the biggest differences uh for me were the accents the weather and the lack of diversity so (laughs) (laughs) quite an adjustment yeah i came for interviews um the was it springtime before um, my first semester and I remember getting off the plane and getting into my Uber and my Uber driver starts talking to me and I was like, oh my gosh, I have <laughs> accents here. What's going on? <laughs> and so that was different. Um, we're also up north here, so it gets cold. It snows. I'm not a fan of either. And so that's been, it's been an adjustment. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mentioned lack of diversity. It's, not the DMV <laughs> here. Um, it is quite Caucasian. Um, and that's been hard, but you know, I figured it out. And um, yeah, moving somewhere new, I had to start all over, of course. Um, but I've made some good friends and I've met people from different backgrounds. And so I've, I've developed some community here. Uh, right. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on, Darren. Um, not too much. I guess like how do you deal with the lack of diversity there? What do you do? What's 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 the tea? What do we need to do? You, you make it comfortable <laughs> by force and by fire. Like you, <laughs> you, you find people. Uh, for me, I specifically definitely wanted to meet other Ghanaian people, and like I joined like the um, the Black grad student org and stuff. Gotcha. And so I always tried to place myself in places that were explicitly for black people and then through that i met you know their friends or their family and kind of developed a diverse community that way which that's something that i'll give to brown there's lots of um events and clubs and gatherings and groups for people so that brunches too we do have brunches so that's (laughs) a whole different conversation (laughs) um but yeah so i just kind of made i made it more comfortable here so that's kind of how I went about it. Gotcha. Um, well, I guess an alternative, if you, let's say you go somewhere and there's just like no one, like no one of color, it's just <laughs> you. Um, I guess 
finding an online community is really important so that yeah. you can talk to other students of color and have that sense of community while you're going through your program. Right. So. Yeah. I didn't really have too much to add to that, um, but I was thinking a little bit about to some parks of this program I'm in, that's pretty cool. Uh, so I was really happy that Penn, <laughs> upon moving, they actually gave us a relocation allocation. So they gave us some money to help us move, which is something that I didn't know that certain PhD programs do. So when I was moving back from Spain um, to Maryland, where my family lives, and then moving up to Philly, I had a little bit of cushion. Uh, so that helped out a lot. So I don't know if Brown did that for y'all or not, but no. it's popping. Um, you know? <laughs> well, actually, they started it the year after I started. So I did not get a relocation fund. And moving is very expensive, especially Rhode Island and Maryland are eight hours apart. So, you know, driving up furniture, finding an apartment, putting deposits down. Yeah. Um, all those sort of startup costs were on me. And at the time, mm. I was working as... Um, like a, a lab manager, essentially. And right. so, you know, me and my little coin had to stretch and make our way from Maryland to Rhode Island. So it definitely would have helped to have um, that money. So I'm glad that they um, put that into place. Granted, it was after I moved, but, you know, future cohorts and stuff, they have that money to help them get started here. Right. And I'm thankful for whatever, whatever past students like ask for that from the school like thank you for asking you know um mm -hmm. I know that like it, it, it's Penn so like there's privilege there so thank you Penn but like, <laughs> I'm still <laughs> I'm still glad about that and and also too I think your school um don't you have some sort of thing where you can use your ID cards with like the local transit to save some coin or something yeah so our our student IDs are so magical <laughs> we can take them and we can use the public transportation system for free which is pretty good right. um, we can also get discounts at different establishments with them um the student mm. ID holds a lot of weight and it helps us stretch the stipends that we have so it's it's pretty nice that they've got that in place. Do you guys have anything like that at Penn or? Um, not that I completely know of. I know we can get discounts at certain places, like, but other than that, not too much. So you know, I guess Brown has one over on us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you had anything to add, but I wanted to talk about courses a little bit too. Um, so something that I had to get used to starting out were like seminar-based courses. I, and for anyone who doesn't know what a seminar is, I didn't know what a seminar was. It's more of an open forum class. So like you have readings and then you have particularly, usually grad students coming to the course, engaging with the readings. And a lot of the class is like discussion, like you are sort of making the class a lot and the teacher's there to facilitate and guide and also to offer expertise. But I had to get used to seminar courses because I was used to, to like lecture-based things and having someone like the, the knowledge coming from the teacher. Like down. them talk at you. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was strange because I had to be like, oh, I need to, my opinion matters and I need to get it out. So seminar courses were something I had to adjust to. Do you, was there something for y'all? Yeah, so I actually, my senior year of undergrad, I took some um, mixed grad undergrad courses. So I got exposed to those seminar classes that way. Um, but it's completely different when you're the grad student. Um, yeah. I prefer the way grad student classes are operated. There's less busy work, which, yeah. thank goodness, I, not, not to knock anyone's teaching or anything, but I feel like in undergrad, we had so much more busy work, just right. little assignments or participation things that were just kind of there to like 
keep you in check, uh, but they didn't they didn't serve me. So yeah. Yeah. And a really cool thing with seminar courses is that like a lot of the assignments tend to be open-ended. So here's the thing, like write about or choose a project that you're gonna use for your actual research. <laughs> like my research is code switching. So in my seminar classes when I have to write like a like a 15 page paper for the end of it I'm like writing it about code switching so I can use it for my research so like mm-hmm. using your courses strategically is so helpful um also to like save your syllabi if you get them because a lot of times you can use those readings if they're relevant to a topic you're studying and cite those those readings in your work like it's so 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 useful also to knowing what the names of courses are we talked about seminars we talk, talked about lecture based courses but there's also methods courses methods courses show you how to do things like which i didn't understand so i was like i don't know how to do it and they're like take a methods course and i'm like that makes sense okay yeah <laughs> so like understanding the different names of the courses so that when you go to like choose courses you can choose your courses strategic strategically <laughs> and knowingly yeah so I think that's definitely where you start to see the differences in undergrad experiences, both what school you went to and then also what degree you did. So for me, I was a, we never really talked about this yet, but you know, I was a psych major in undergrad and oh, I minored yeah. in neuroscience and philosophy. So we, a part of our core cur- curriculum is taking those methods courses and stuff. So I it's just one of those things that I, I was used to and I didn't think about, mm, like um, but that's not everybody's experience. So something else, well, since we're on the topic of coursework, the, the content of the courses are so rich. And like you were yeah, saying, you saucy. get to pick these courses. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You get to pick these courses. And so you get to make the most out of them. You can tailor it to your interests. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say like, add a caveat that Brown is just known for having really unique courses. Like if you ever see those like top 25, whatever lists of interesting courses, Brown's right. courses are on there because they will, they have like, there's a Harry Potter class <laughs> you can take. Like there's just all sorts of, if you can think of it, they're probably teaching it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Something you said that, that uh, made me think a little bit was like uh, talking about how you studied psych and um, philosophy and understanding the disciplines. Because for me, I'm someone who wanted to study code switching, but it wasn't until my second semester that someone in my lab was like, you should take a sociolinguistics course. And I was like, oh, code switching is studied in sociolinguistics. Mm-hmm. So I was like, true, let me go look at the course catalog like for, for linguistics courses um, or learning that like uh, so, uh, that code switching as I studied, it has to do with with race so like okay let me take courses in like black studies or like africana as well yeah <laughs> or like okay code switching happens a lot of times in the classroom like let me take courses within education so like yeah. using your knowledge of the disciplines to figure out like how what you, you need to yeah how what you need to take and where you need to go to get that like knowledge like that was yeah. useful for me a lot of the times you kind of stumble upon that information like you did. Um, yeah. I I didn't even know the word for it until I really started thinking about applying to grad school. And I realized that I was taking like an interdisciplinary approach to my education and my research. Yeah. And so, again, an extension of that is that here now, like I don't just take courses in my department. I also take education, economics and computer science courses um, and really pulling from all those different fields because there's... I, in my opinion, I don't think there's one field where you can get everything from. So I think that's also where um, academia is heading anyways. It's just, you know, everyone yeah. sort of pulling from different fields and areas and methods and putting it together to do the best work that they can possibly do. Yeah. Um, which is a perfect segue into 
another topic um, to discuss about your first year is how you're you yourself are becoming the researcher. You know? Ooh, yeah, I like. <laughs> I was taking notes before this to organize my ideas, and I literally wrote that next to it. Chalice, you. <laughs> times i'd be asking people you know my research question i'm like how do i do this how do i what what is it like i had a lot of um insecurity in my ability to like do it you know um Mm -hmm. and then i had to like you know get that mirror and look in it and be like you are the person to figure this out it's not your advisor's job (laughs) it's not nobody else's job that can help you and support you uh but it's you you got to do it so i really had to learn how to Sit in that. I'm still learning how to sit in that because I don't, I don't, I don't know. It feels weird. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's all I wanted to say for that one. Uh, we could definitely do an episode on imposter syndrome. I don't know if that encompasses a part of that feeling you had or... Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on imposter syndrome. So maybe let's... Have, if, if y'all want to hear about imposter syndrome, shout it out. And we'll put a pin in that. We'll put a pin in yeah, that. We'll put a pin in that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But also... Something that I thought of while you were talking is that, you know, you also have to accept the fact that your career kind of starts right away. Mm-hmm. Like your professional career starts when you start grad school. And so <laughs> that the clock starts ticking and you're on your way to becoming an expert on whatever it is that you're studying, you're interested in, you're passionate right. about. So this is a time where before you might have read a research paper and it was just to write a paper for class and it's done. But now you're reading to synthesize and put it into your work right. to develop your your thoughts, develop theory, and just it you everything you used to do serves a whole different purpose. And it's all cumulatively helping you become the expert that you hope to be by the end of the process. Yeah, I agree. And like, it just made me think of like, when I would read research papers in undergrad, I thought that all the people I were reading were like dead or something. Like, like, oh gosh. We were talking to my advisor at one point and I was like, I don't know what they mean by this particularly. And she was like, email them. And I was like, wait, I can do that. I could do that. <laughs> so I developed this like fun thing I do when I read where I frame it in my head, like a conversation. So like, there's something about something you on a page that makes it seem real. I don't want to go on a tangent because I can talk about that all day um mm-hmm. but in my in my head breaking that down and being like i love reading geneva geneva smitherman um but when i'm reading i'm just like okay dr smitherman what are you telling me okay i get you i'm following you i got it i got it mm, don't know about this all right not sure and like looking at the, the, the that other person as a researcher and i'm a researcher too i'm not on, on geneva smitherman's level dr not at all listens. <laughs> oh my god i love you but um, but like yeah when i have those thoughts taking those thoughts out of my head putting them in the margins like i don't completely understand this um and maybe going and looking that up so seeing myself as a researcher to put myself in conversation with other researchers like mm-hmm. i'm gonna stop there <laughs> yeah it's it's super active. You're physically, mentally, emotionally invested in the work others have done. You're also you're also on that same level with the work that you're doing. It's all encompassing, and even even to the point of uh, the like, we should probably talk about the fact that you have this identity of a grad student, Oof. and it means different things to different people, and it takes different stock and value and precedence in different people's lives. So I don't know if you have an opinion that you want to share on that. 
Yeah, I was marinating on that a little bit earlier today. I was, you know, steeping myself in it like the green tea I drank this morning. Um, uh, I love a narrative style. While you looked out, looked out the window. <laughs> I looked out the window and <laughs> I literally wrote like, man, am I one question mark? <laughs> because like, I know I am one and it, it's, it's something that, that that's true but I sometimes don't really sit in that identity like I don't know I very much just want to know the answers to things um and this allows me to do it but I didn't really have super strong thoughts or like I don't like being a grad student I don't feel like it's a huge part of my identity but maybe it needs to be I don't know what you think <laughs> uh for me it's simple I am not my work um <laughs> it's just something that I do but it is not me um and I think something that kind of reinforces that thought for me are the judgments and um, assumptions that kind of come with A, being a PhD student and B, attending an Ivy League institution. Those things are very weighted and heavy in people's minds. And so I personally, I I don't lead with any of that. Uh, If you meet me on the streets, I'm Jaslyn. It, you might have to dig for it to come out that I'm doing my PhD or where I'm doing it at. I, I just personally like to separate it from myself um, because it's just my, it's my work. It's not who I am. Yeah. Um, I do think that is important if you want to sleep at night because you could be thinking all, all hours of the night about these different topics. Um, mm-hmm. But something I wanted to say too, which is like trying to escape me now and I'm about to like grab it. It's trying to go right at my head. Um, but is there a need for us as Black um like students to sit in that identity because sometimes I personally my default is like I don't really feel as though it's a big part of my life but sometimes I feel a need like to sit in it because uh, like I feel this need sometimes to be representation or exist as representation I don't know if that's strange I I think I know what you're talking about yeah yeah I definitely (laughs) I see that in like different levels like I also see that for when we're done there's almost a sense of responsibility of being a black faculty member yeah and taking on like uh. but then there's <laughs> we, we will talk about that in depth another time but I definitely feel a sense of responsibility of being representative but at the same time I don't like being the only one so it's not that you're being representative to the point where it's like it's just me it's only me I'm like what do they yeah. call that? What's that word? Um, a token? Yes. Uh, I, yeah. I don't want to be a token. And so I think right now with, in my, in my department, I'm the only black woman. So right now, if I, if I sit in it, I'm also sitting in the fact that I'm essentially a token. And for me, that's uncomfortable. But again, yeah. on a personal level, it's just not me to sit in what I do and have that be, I don't wear it as a crown on my head, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's funny because it sounds like it, like a, a a weird like distancing oneself out from like a privileged identity in a sense. But is it a privileged identity? I don't know. I don't want to be going. Well, that's down the well, that's you like, know. I brought up the <laughs> fact that there's a lot of assumptions that people have about being a PhD student and being at an Ivy League Ivy League institution. So I don't know if you have any experiences with like when people find out that this is what you're doing, what they react to you as. um. Yeah, so I don't know if I have any like particular experiences that come to mind. So I I don't know if I can answer your question, but I don't know, something that came to mind as well was just like, it's it's this weird sort of like wanting, for me, wanting to um, acknowledge the privilege of being an Ivy League PhD student, but also just knowing that I'm someone in there who um, 
holds marginalized identities. Like, I know that sounds so like, ooh, marginalized identities. More so like, it's very painful at times <laughs> like, to be in class and like to not feel represented and feel like the only one and all of these different things that come with that. So it's sort of like, I, I know that I'm in a position that is privileged, but at the same time too, certain identities I have that are marginalized aren't. And I walk through the world with those. Like, like when I leave, when I leave the school, it's not like, oh my God, you PhD. It's like, you know, I'm afraid that someone's going to look at me, like a a police officer is going to look at me the wrong way. Well, that's why I I question why in this conversation you keep leading with the fact that it's a privileged identity. I don't think Uh, because of who you are, the body you exist in, I don't even know if, unless we're talking about like the benefits it brings, it's really interesting that you keep talking about prefacing with the fact that it's a privileged identity um, or association when Uh, at the end of the day, you're still a black man in Trump's America (laughs) and you could do whatever it is you want to do, but no, nothing is going to change that. So um, it's just interesting that that's what comes to mind for me. I was just talking more so about the fact that, People just have assumptions about that. So people uh, okay. will find out and they'll just be like, oh, you think you're that. Oh, you think you're this. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, something that I was thinking about too was just this idea of like asking for help as you were talking, because as you were saying, like, I don't know how privileged it is or whatever else. Because I did find myself like in the classroom, I'd be having a nervous stomach at times. IBS, fam, family, if anyone's out there with me. Um, Squad. Yeah, but I'd be really anxious in, in, in class. And I literally would have to, like, I, I had to make myself ask for help because I just went into my professor and I was like, look, I got stomach issues, you know? <laughs> I'm gonna need to step out of this class a lot of the times. Is that cool? And he was like, yeah, it's fine. And I was like, you know, I was sitting here for so many weeks like ignoring how I was feeling and literally my physical pain to try to like look normal in a classroom. But I'm like, no, assert yourself, self-advocacy, ask for help, get what you need. <laughs> so yeah. it just made me, me think of this idea of like this need to, to, to ask for help and to advocate for yourself, especially as a marginalized, like I don't like saying marginalized student, as someone who is actively marginalized by oppressive systems. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it here first. (laughs) So, yeah, um, I do. So I asking for help in there's a difference between recognizing you need help and then asking Uh, for it. And I think a lot of people are good at recognizing when they need help, but they either don't know how to or have been practiced in asking for help. And I know that was my issue my first year. Couldn't practice you know, <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah. um, that was definitely my issue my first year because I never did that in undergrad. Like I was toughing it out. I was doing it on my own. You know, I N D E P E N D E N T. Do you know what I mean? Like I was out here doing it on my own, but it took until like it felt like everything was on the brink of falling apart for me to be like, I just need to go to a professor or my PI and just let them know that, you know, I just needed time or I needed to, you know, have a conversation about something I didn't understand. Um, And through that, I, you know, that's when I started therapy, but then also that's when I recognized that PIs, professors, they recognize that you're human and that life also happens. And I think there's a fear that if you can't do everything or keep up at a certain pace that, you're not you're not at where you need to be and the world is just ending. I agree with all of what you're saying for one. And I carried a lot of like stereotype threat, like uh 
confirmation concern where I'm like, they're going to think the black kid or the gay kid isn't able to manage all of his coursework and mm-hmm. do all of these different things. Therefore, I, I went inside. And Stereotype threat. threat. <laughs> <laughs> What's that over there? Stereotype, Stereotype threat. <laughs> Coming for your right. neck. <laughs> I literally internalized it. And I didn't ask for help, but it's like, no. Like these white kids, they out here worried about that. Well, I don't know about all of them. But a lot of them are, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, or they're, so ta- me, they're taught to go and ask for help. Right. And it's normalized and it's okay and yeah. I didn't I never had that experience no I like, undergrad I never went to an office hours who's an office hour what's an office hour <laughs> <laughs> don't listen to us don't listen t- to this us. is not this no, is what you shouldn't no. do but you would never catch me in an office hour unless it was mandatory like right. I, that was not my scene it wasn't my look oh my goodness listen I had this one professor not gonna name drop but I went to office hours I think I was a little traumatized and I was supposed to be learning about like chemistry and I was trying she said to, I was supposed to be learning I was about supposed chemistry. To be. <laughs> I was supposed Same. to be. I, Same. I asked him about like where the electron uh, you know, where where's it at? You're like, where is it at? And the thing, and this man yelled at me, he's like, it's not at nowhere. It occupies itself in a cloud. And I was like, yo, uh, I, I'm just trying to learn. And I was gross. <laughs> like, and I had that traumatic experience that I like never really went to offsides. You don't want to be invalidated. Um, But that makes me think, too, that a lot of times when asking for help, I think it's a two-step process. I think for me, here's how I conceptualize. I have to go up into my brain space. Um, I have to look at the nebulous cloud of confusion. And then what, the what it occupies, Darren? What it occupies? What it occupies, <laughs> the electron. And then I have to articulate that out. So I have to go in there figure out what it is I don't know, and then articulate what it is that I don't know as a question. Like, And not knowing mm-hmm. something is... Is, is, a, is, a, is a positive because, you know, that way you can form it into a question, shoot it out to the world, and that gap can be filled. So it's like, it's actually yeah. good not to know things. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if you had thoughts. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Um, I guess this is kind of going back a little bit, but asking for help, um, it it's all kind of based on the experiences you've had in the past. And I know for me, uh, early in my education, like back in the day, elementary school, I was all about raising my hand. I was all about participating. And then I had an incident that kind of just like shut that down for me. And ever since, like I've always had a block. So if I had been nurtured and fostered in that way, and I continue to be an active participant in the classroom, maybe I would have gotten to the point where I was an undergrad attending office hours and reaching out to professors and, you know, just being able to communicate my needs to the people that could actually help me. Maybe teachers valued, you know, black students input. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that made me think of Ayanla Van Zandt when she's like, when was the first time, baby? (laughs) Like in a joking manner, but it's really true. It's like the the first time, you know, it's kind of learned. It's like, okay, well, clearly my opinion doesn't want to be heard here. Clearly I didn't do this the right way. So it's like, well, all right, you know. Yeah, it's like your opinion isn't valued or your input isn't valued. And so therefore you yourself are not valued. And it like trickles down and it becomes like a part of you in a weird way. Especially with conversations we've been having about race, like like contemporary conversations in like this 2020 moment. Like I'm not that, that I'm almost 25, y'all. So I don't want to be extra. But in elementary school, I don't remember quite talking about white supremacy and you know all these notions of like intersectionality and any of that like I was sitting there in the class all types of comfortable like y'all just showed some slaves as we talked about on on, what was the episode name throw it out throw it out make it make sense yes (laughs) you know go listen to that but I was sitting there uncomfortable so I feel like 
there's more space now, which I'm really happy about to talk about these things. But in my body, my body still remembers those elementary school classrooms. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's that. <laughs> I, I think the first time I witnessed white supremacy in the classroom, mm -hmm. for real, for real, in like the curriculum, yeah. before I had a name for it was in, was it world history? What was that? It was an AP class in, in high school. AP world? World AP history or AP world, Gov? something like that. I don't know. No, no, no. It was like the one where like we, we were like in the books reading the history about the world. Oh, doing those outlines. Oh God. I don't um, remember. Yeah, AP it was world so history. Ago. It was what history. AP world history, that one. And I remember it was one of the few times I did my readings ahead of time, <laughs> but I was, I was so excited because we were going to talk about Ghana. And I was so excited to have a class where, like, you know, something that was close to home was going to be centered in the conversation. And this man really skipped over the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, no. he was just like, yeah. And so then, like, you know, they they colonized Ghana, and then <laughs> I, I was like, ah! right, wow, my whole history. Wow. Oh, it's just it's gone. And I remember sitting there, and I was like, but you gave all this time to Europe to the Judeo Christian European yes I know way too much about like the history of Christianity and Judaism <laughs> right. and everything and I'm like I wanted like a lecture where we we could talk about the motherland right That's you all. know but it did not take precedent even though what happened there is essentially what was the backbone of the United States the right. United States couldn't be what it is today if there wasn't for the work and the labor, the forced labor, forced labor on the backs of African slaves. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't yeah. understand. Yeah, African, it's, it's like, I, I push the enslaved people and stuff, but I know exactly what you're saying. Um, but yeah, that makes sense. Like, and just, I don't want to go on a tangent, so maybe I should like stop here, but like, I always had this little annoying thing about classical music too. I'm like, you mean Western classical music? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot was that a noun an adjective like the, the, what do you mean classical this is not classical to like I don't classical know. to whom to whom to whom <laughs> but um yeah should we, we kind of went off on a tangent but hope y'all like these it these are the thoughts that came to <laughs> mind when we reflected on our first year in our respective PhD programs um I know this is fresher for you Darren I'm a little I'm an OG. I'm a little old in this game. No, I'm a little old in this game. <laughs> so, yeah. I respect it. Let us know if you have any questions <laughs> or any specific experiences in our first years that you want us to talk about a little bit more. Go yeah. ahead and send us a message or an email. You got an email account. We do. All right. So with that, should we dive into the word on the street? Yes, please. So for this week, our word on the street is from a tweet that got retweeted extensively. Originally, it was a news article and then, you know, people put their two cents on it. But essentially right now in France, um, it's mandatory to wear a face mask that's kind of universal at this point yeah. in public. But there's also a ban on wearing face veils and burkas and other... Um, hmm, how, how do we put it? So, so like cover it face really. face coverings that are associated with certain religions and people from certain parts of the world. Islam yeah, basically, just as what I took from that was just Islamophobia. Like, 
Islamophobia. Islamophobia. <laughs> but it's also, it extends past Islamophobia because it's also fear of people from the Middle East. It's, it's just, <sighs> but the tweet that kind of got us talking was um, by someone named Aisha Siddiqui. Sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. But uh, they said, today in France, it is simultaneously possible for a woman to be fined 165 euros for being in public with a face covering and uh, an additional 135 euros for being in public without a face covering. So this just shows you, <laughs> Darren, what take do it you away. Want? <laughs> I'm just saying, what, what do you want then? What do you want from people? And this notion of public as well, because who do you want to, to, to see exist outside? Who do you want to see in public? Who exists within your framing of the public? Mm-hmm. And who doesn't? Who are you trying to get rid of? <laughs> yep. There's literally a picture here of a Caucasian person wearing a face mask. She looks super happy. You can see it in her eyes because, you know, obviously her face is covered. But then there's a woman in a burqa, I believe, and they they have them juxtaposed. And it's just like... One yeah. is acceptable, the one in the in the hat and the mask, that's okay. But the woman wearing her burqa, she could get fined. But she's right. also being socially responsible because she's covering her face. So we I just think a lot of people, we just don't want these people to exist in our public imaginations. And I think we need to do deep investigation into that and figuring out why and, and fixing that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you even see it in our media. I just, when you said that, I thought of every like city, every movie where there's like a city and there's people hustling and bustling around. You don't see people who look like the woman in the burqa, you know, covering their faces. They're not what's represented as the people in society that are going about their business. Right. Um, so that, that definitely sparked something in yeah. my mind. Maybe we can, we can talk about that. Yeah. And who time. are, Sorry, I just jumped in. I got too excited. But I, I said, and who are, quote unquote, these people? Because as I say that, I'm like, well, that's that's arbitrary, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, it's just, in my mind, I'm like, no, that, no, this, no, we shouldn't, no. So definitely thinking about our, I guess, our brothers, sisters, who are going through this sort of discrimination right now. Yeah, siblings, um, siblings as well. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it, it just like, it makes me think about, I guess, some of the fears that I had with everything that kind of developed during the time of social distancing. Um, I, I usually sit and look outside my window while I'm working. And sometimes I'll see black men walking around with their face masks and I'll think about how dangerous that is for them. And <laughs> it's just <sighs> so much that's coming out in this time. And I hope everyone is really taking the time to reflect on what prejudices they're holding. Um, or if they see something, say something. Again, like, encourage conversation because we really, we really need to, we shouldn't have to be dealing with this while we're, de- we're dealing with a global pandemic. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Millennials <laughs> Published. Tune in each week as we all figure out life together. Um, again, Darren's going to take us out, but we really want you guys to participate in the little contest we talked about where we'll give you additional content uh, the, the bigger our community sort of gets online. Right. Please continue to rate, subscribe, write a review, and share. Um, if you like what you're hearing, shout us out on Instagram at Millennials Unpublished, again, with two L's and two N's. <laughs> and for me, at Darren27. And I'm at John T. Jazz. Thanks again. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.